My name is Elle, and I'm a transgender woman talking about how to win friends and influence people. Well, actually, not really. I am going to talk, though, about people-pleasing and about finding your voice. Uh, but before I do that, I want to talk just a little bit about the show. Uh, you've heard me uh, ramble a little bit about how uh, we are nearing one year of Transgender Woman Podcast, our Transgender Woman Talking Podcast, which uh, is true, and it's beautiful, and it feels like something that um, is worth being proud of, and it's something that I actually am proud of. I, I uh, am so thrilled to have spent this year with you, or maybe a few months with you, depending on, you know, what the case may be. Um, but it has been such a joy uh, to get to know you a little bit and to hear f your stories and also have the opportunity to share my own story in the world. Um, so I just want to say thank you for listening. Uh, next week's episode will be officially um, season two, I guess. Today, I think, is episode number uh, 52 uh, published, although we did have one or two repeats along the way. So, you know, go figure. But it has been a full year. And uh, the first episode that was put out was called Normal and Pathology. And, and uh, it was published on, Oct on August 22, 2022. And uh, since that episode uh, went out, um, the show has been listened to uh, 19,500 times. Uh, so I'm hoping that we make it to 20,000 before uh, the end of next week, but we will see. Um, but on average, about three, three to 400 people listen to every single episode, which is like incredible and stunning. And what's been more fun than just those um, what those numbers represent is that they represent you. And many of you have reached out to me with um, your own stories and your own reflections on the prompts that I've been giving on the show, uh, your uh, critiques and um, contrasting experiences at times. Uh, it's been such a gift. Some of you have sent videos of yourself um, talking about the issues, which has been amazing to get to see your faces and um, I don't, yeah, I just, I'm looking forward to more of those connections as the years uh, unfold, because even though we are one years in, or one year in to Transgender Woman Talking, uh, I'm going to continue publishing the show, and uh, that's actually the thing I wanted to talk about before we get into the actual episode about people-pleasing, which is that I am working on a new logo. If you've noticed, um, the current logo for the shoe is quite brutalist. Um, I wanted to do something that was quick and dirty and just get it out there. I've designed a lot of different logos and websites and all kinds of things like that for many years um, as a part of my uh, job as a pastor. But I really wanted to just focus on the talking piece. And I wanted to focus on uh, not on like super high-end production value or production, you know, content, but to just talk from my heart. And I feel like speaking from my heart is part of why uh, the show has resonated with some folks out there. 
Um, and so anyway, I'm thinking about the logo and I'm thinking about going into year two, into season two. I'd like to update it a little bit to reflect uh, some of what happens on the program. Um, and so uh, what I want to throw out there for you is I would love to crowdsource that a bit. I would love to hear your ideas about an updated logo. Um, if you are a designer or an artist and you have a willingness to you know, do a sketch or a mock-up or something that I could, you know, work on to sort of help a girl out. Uh, I would love uh, to um, benefit from your work. Um, obviously, this uh, program is created on a shoestring budget, and uh, I'm also not getting any revenue from it. So, um, if you'd be willing to uh, grace me with your um, ideas or thoughts or, you know, drawings or whatever, uh, I would greatly appreciate them. And I will continue to, uh, you know, uh, full of enthusiasm and love, share uh, this podcast with the world. Um, so, uh, yeah, look forward to seeing your emails. Uh, as always, I put the um, email address for the show, Twat Podcasting, which is kind of tongue-in-cheek, uh, an anagram of the uh, show's title, T-W-A-T, um, podcasting at gmail.com. Um, reach out to me and let me know. So uh, here is the program for the week. Uh, and as I said, uh, how to make friends and Im- influence people. It kind of refers to an old book by, or how to, how to win friends and influence people, an old famous book on sales by Dale Con- Carnegie. Uh, not what this episode is about, but it is about people pleasing, which kind of, I feel like, I don't know, that title of that book conjures to me, people pleasing, how to win friends, how to, how to make people, how to get people to like you. Um, people pleasing is something that's really, really common. Um, obviously it's not a ubiquitous trait. Some of us, uh, there's some of us out there who could care less about people pleasing, or in fact, we're really, really crappy at it. Um, for me, I am extremely, uh, adept at people pleasing. Uh, in a way I see it as a personality trait that I developed over time. Um, I like, and I think I've probably mentioned before on the show, I like the Enneagram, um, sort of model for understanding personality. And in the Enneagram, I am an Enneagram 9, which is the peacemaker, right? And the Enneagram 9 uh, wishes to uh, reduce tension and does so often by morphing themselves into a situation, morphing their needs and wants, desires, preferences, etc., so that uh, there won't be conflict. And and the risk for an Enneagram 9, uh, which is borne out in my life completely, is that um, we risk losing ourselves in the process. Now, uh, one question about uh, you know, I'll answer in just a moment what it means to me to be a people pleaser. But, but why am I a people pleaser? Why am I an Enneagram 9? Why uh, do I tend to uh, morph myself to accommodate other people's needs and wants and preferences and desires and so on? Um, is it because I'm trans, right? And I, I don't think, <laughs> I don't think I'm a people pleaser because I'm trans, Um, And I don't think that I'm trans because I'm a people pleaser, although 
I've heard a lot of trans people, uh, or maybe not a lot, but I've heard trans some trans people who have a similar experience to the one that I have, which is that I uh, avoided saying what I wanted, saying what I needed, saying what I was experiencing, especially as it related to gender dysphoria. Um, I think that, like I mentioned, I think that there's a component of people pleasing this just temperament. Like I think it's genetic. Um, I also think that for me, there is some that was probably, some of this was probably developed, um, at the intersection of, um, the religious community that I grew up within, uh, which had a, a strong tradition of shunning. So essentially it was, if you don't fall into line, if you don't fall into our expectations, if you don't fall in, if you don't do the behaviors like we're expecting, then you don't have a place with us and we'll push you out. And uh, it was uh, really scary. Um, and it was something that I wanted to avoid. And in fact, I did avoid it all the way until I was age 39 and I came out of the closet. And then uh, the church uh, let me know that I could no longer be a pastor. And I guess technically they didn't tell me that I couldn't be a part of their church. But like, why would I want to be a part of the church after going through what I went through? Um, that just doesn't line up. Like, um, so I grew up in this culture, uh, this community that shuns folks that, that, you know, didn't behave or act the right way. Um, I grew up in a family that was marked by the absence of my dad. Uh, he, uh, went through a, a process of addiction, um, and my folks got divorced and he was not there. Um, and I think that his absence, uh, made, um, an implicit or explicit impact on me, and it wasn't something that was necessarily um, planned or intended or desired or designed, but it's sort of just one of the impacts of the circumstances as they were. Um, and I think that as a small person, I internalized um, this idea or this belief that if I did the wrong thing, then people that I loved would uh, be gone or would leave me or would abandon me. Um, I grew up in a culture that, uh, focused a lot, and this was both a uh, family culture and religious culture, uh, that really came down hard on the notion of selfishness. Um, and so I really, really didn't want to be a bad person. I didn't, and, and to be a bad person, uh, oftentimes meant being selfish. And so I think that there were times where I, or not even times, but I think I implicitly absorbed and developed a belief or a worldview that said, if I have needs, if I say what I want, if I say what I need, if I say what I prefer, I'm being selfish. Therefore, I'll just do whatever is needed or expected or wanted or what everyone else wants to do um, because it's the most moral thing. And that's sort of like the martyr syndrome. And there's a number of different people in my you know, immediate and extended family uh, system that that struggles with that uh, experience of, of being or playing the martyr. Um, so I, I think that all of those things, probably this overlaying intersection of, of family culture and religious culture kind of led me to be this person who is, you know, tries to please people. I, I grew up in a family that uh, didn't uh, model uh, 
solving problems or solving conflict very well. What I saw a lot of times between uh, my aunts and uncles and so on, which they would just cut off communications. Like if a cousin did something that you didn't like, you just wouldn't talk to him anymore. And um, and so I think because I had these experiences of, around abandonment, um, I think that the ways that I uh, sort of self-resolved was to avoid conflict altogether. You know, by any means possible, I was going to avoid conflict because if, as long as I avoided conflict, then people wouldn't leave me. And, and like I said, there is this underlying belief that flowed through uh, much of my life, much of my early years, people will leave me if I have an opinion, if there's conflict, if I say the wrong thing, if I had needs, if I have preferences, if I want to do something that isn't approved, people will leave me. Now, obviously, there's some of that that is true um, and some of that that's not true. But I think that I you know, in my own psyche, I put it all together. And like, I need to please people at all costs, even at the cost of losing myself. Now, for me, uh, people pleasing plays out in a lot of ways. And, and probably not all of them are even relevant to my gender. I mean, I just talked a bunch about my family history and family background and religious background. And, you know, those things are obviously related to gender because gender permeates everything because that's what our culture does, uh, at least in American Western white culture. Um, but uh, people-pleasing played out in a lot of ways. One of the ways that it played out for me was, was by avoiding confrontations or, or even justifying other people's bad behavior. I remember I worked at this one uh, church where uh, one of the other employees would make these uh, inflammatory speeches um, during board meetings, and they would um, say nasty things about me or try to undermine my, um, really undermine my dignity is what it felt like, but also like undermining um, whether or not I was a good pastor, undermining my decision making, all kinds of stuff. But it was all like underhanded and, and just passive-aggressive nastiness, and um, I, for years, I just absorbed that cruelty. I just, I, I took a pragmatic stance. Well, it's not going to do any good to do anything. I just need to, I'm just going to suck it up and ignore it and uh, maybe justify it, maybe explain away, well, they're having a bad day or they're having a bad thing or they're emotionally immature or maybe they don't realize what they're doing um, and I would just ignore them, right? Um, if I saw them out in public, if I saw them in the hall, I would smile um, or even be nice to them. It's really weird. I would do everything in my power to avoid confrontation. And, and even to this day, confrontation is really hard for me. Um, I just finished a therapy school. Hooray! I got my diploma and everything. It's a really amazing hooray! Um, and I've been uh, practicing therapy here at um, in Palm Springs for a little over a year, as you've known, as you've heard me talk about. Um, but even in the therapy room, I have I have sometimes have a hard time with confrontation uh, because sometimes in therapy, what's needed and what's called for is for uh, the therapist to identify, um, you know, an issue or a pattern or a problem or something that's going on in a client's life that isn't working, and they need us. To say it, and it feels so uncomfortable. 
Another way that people pleasing comes out for me is in um, massaging the truth or spinning things. Not like outright right lying, but like um, just making things more palatable to people in my life. Now, you know, this doesn't apply to like, um, you know, my close friends and my wife and all that kind of stuff. But I'm sort of talking about how I've related to like some of my bosses in the past or church or other church leaders or, or, um, you know, old people in the church or young people in the church or family friends or whatever, sort of becoming all things to all people. That's a quote from the Bible. All right. Um, <laughs> and I think that I became very adept at spinning things, um, like telling stories slant right? Um, Always having my audience in mind. So kind of telling people what they want to hear or sort of tweaking the story so that uh, in a way that I knew people would appreciate it, even if it wasn't like exactly what I thought. Um, My dad used to tell me all the time, I can't believe what you get away with when you're preaching sermons. Because like we would have a conversation and I would have a really, really liberal, really progressive idea that I was speaking about on a given week. And then I would go up front and speak it and it would come out uh, like sounding very religious and very pious. And I would use conservative language, but I would be saying something that's really progressive. And the reason I did that is because I'm a fucking people pleaser and I didn't want to just say it straight. I didn't want to have the conflict. I wanted to be able to sort of somehow navigate this weird minefield where I could have one foot in my own reality and my own truth and at the same time have a foot in other people's reality. And obviously there was some value to that. Like I think that I was a bridge builder as a, as my peacemaking nine self um, but also, I lost my own opinions in the process a lot of time. You know, the, there were many times where my people-pleasing led me to, to, to lose my own identity. I would just say, well, what do you want? You know, I don't have an opinion. I don't care. I'll adapt. What, whatever you want. I'm happy. I'm happy to go along with it. That's what we want. Then that's where we're going to go. Just being incredibly pragmatic about it and to the point of I don't even know what I want. Uh, One of the things that happens down the road uh, for people who are people pleasers is we start to lose respect for ourselves. And I think this probably happened for me. Maybe it happened for you uh, in some ways as well. Um, But if we people please enough and we fail to speak up for ourselves enough and if we avoid conflict enough and if we massage the truth uh, enough, we can eventually come to the place where we start to believe that I'm not really worth standing up for. I'm not really worth naming my own needs. I'm not worth asking for what I want. And um, gosh, that led me to some dark places. You know, like my people pleasing self is what led me to um, trying to get my needs met in secret. Right. So like when as it comes to gender, especially this is where I especially think about it coming out. But like, you know, uh, wearing girls clothes in secret. Right. I had this gender dysphoria that was overwhelming. I 
um, wished I had been born a girl. I loved feminine clothes and feminine expression. I had this deep sense. I mean, you've heard me talk about it. We've had five different versions. And by the way, we will continue with the Am I Trans series. But, you know, I have this deep abiding sense of grief about uh, having been born uh, with a male body, um, just on and on and on. Um, And so instead of like talking about those needs openly with anyone, anyone at all, I would deny that they were real or that I would somehow sort of sideways try to get those needs met in secret without talking to anyone. I used to have this, um, you know, fantasy for years and years and years that my mom would somehow catch on to what I was doing or she would somehow find out about my, these impulses or desires or this gender dysphoria that I was experiencing and that, and that she would bring it up in a conversation with me and she would ask me in such a way about transitioning or about being a girl where all I would have to say is, is meekly nod my head, yes, yes. I just read a book that I will actually I'll d- definitely be doing a book review on the show called This is How It Always Is and I see so much of myself in Poppy except for Poppy was brave enough to say what she needed to say what she wanted and it certainly goes um that um ability to verbalize what's going on for her went up and down throughout the book um but for me you know, really until I was almost 40 years old, I wasn't able to verbalize those things because I was so dedicated to people-pleasing. So uh, one of the things that has been most transformative for me then about transition is that it has stand uh, has stood in opposition to some of or a lot of my people-pleasing impulses. You know, there's something there's something very striking about transition in terms of its uh, way of taking a position, right? Like when you're transitioning gender, when you're transsexual and you're starting to take, you know, hormone therapy, um, it's quite a stand, right? <laughs> You can't really be in the middle ground. You can't have one foot in and one foot out. Like you're going to fucking take the estrogen and jab the needle in your thigh or you're not, right? Um, There's something really, really stark about going through transition. You have to take a stance. You have to take a position and there will be people who will not be happy about that uh, decision, right? And it's kind of ironic, honestly, I feel like, uh, you know, given my prior career, like my job was to, to preach, my job was to have an opinion, my job was to stand up there. But, but like I already said, I, I had shaped my whole career about or, around going up there and not really saying what I actually thought, but saying things that people thought that uh, they thought without totally letting them know what exactly I thought. I never really took an opinion, um, and that's been stunning for me to like exist in a space where my being, my existence, uh, is disagreed upon. The very the very fact that I'm here and that I show up in public 
makes some people unhappy. Like, if I am going to be Esther in the world, I cannot please everyone. God damn. Like, no wonder I was so scared. No wonder I thought that, that I would die if I came out of the closet or I transitioned. No wonder. It was like totally against my, my very personality, right? To transition, to take this position. No, this is who I am. This is what I want. I can't get it to go away. And even if you, quote unquote, disagree with my lifestyle, even if you uh, are scared of me, even if my existence, my presence makes you uncomfortable, I have to do this for my own dignity, for my own survival. I have to take this position. I have to place my own needs above pleasing you. Gosh, that was uncomfortable for me for a long time. Even still, I have attended a support group uh, with other trans people. And uh, one of the rules of that support group or one of the guidelines of the support group is take space, leave space. And it's this idea that everyone here belongs. And obviously, my taking up space may impinge on other people's space. And so the fact that I'm a people pleaser helps me uh, have some intuition about how much space I should take up and how much space I shouldn't. But man, for a lot of years, I didn't want to take up any space at all. I remember back when I was presenting as a man for many years, there's this term that's thrown around called manspreading. And it's where you sit, uh, it's where men, uh, especially cisgender men, sit in um, public places and they spread their legs wide. Now, you know, conceivably it's because they have gigantic balls and a huge cock and they just, it's just so uncomfortable to like have your legs together, right? You can't squeeze the the you know equipment so you got to spread it open even if it impinges on the space of people around you and and manspreading has kind of become this thing and maybe i'm mansplaining it to you or transplaining it to you right now but manspreading has sort of become this like you know metaphor for um you know male privilege that you just you know have the right to take up other people's spaces and you know for me i was always really really conscious of that and i never wanted to be that guy and maybe i was really small down there i don't know but uh, maybe that's too much information however um i feel like i've always been conscious of how much space i was taking up and i think that my sense is that for most women they're quite conscious of the space that they're taking up. And one of the first, uh, one of the first ways that I felt exposed to um, what it feels like to be a woman in the world happened in, in some of my therapy classes early on, where I wondered if I was speaking too much, if I was speaking up too much, if I was taking up too much space, as it were, if I was exercising my voice uh too much, as it were. And I, there was a point actually where I talked with the professor and said, "Hey, um, am I talking too much? Am I talking too little? Like I, I don't like. I feel really self-conscious about taking up space here in this class." And so we had a great conversation about taking up space. Um, and and so for me, 
um, sort of, I live in this ongoing balance uh, between um, now taking up space as a transgender woman, as myself in the world, and having an opinion, and saying what I need, and saying what I want, uh, balancing that at the same time with my own sort of internal temperament and personality of of wishing to please people or needing to please people or caring about pleasing people around me because honestly it feels good at times to please people especially if I want to um makes me think of the value that can come from taking up space I mean beyond the fact that like People hear my story and maybe will treat, like, you know, that's part of my hope in the podcast, right? People will hear my story and then treat you all with more kindness and respect. You all trans folks out there listening that that your allies, your maybe people that aren't even allies are are listening and are like, oh, wow, I've been such an ass. I'm going to treat Susie differently now. Like, that would be amazing. Um, If so, and that's sort of like... I'm I'm presenting myself with this hard line, with this hard opinion, and other folks are going to be bouncing themselves off of it. And obviously that makes me vulnerable. But I've certainly seen that in parenting as well. My word. So much of parenting is about being that strong wall that my kids can press up against. You know, uh, so much of parenting, especially with the personalities of the kids that I have, is, is you know, them, they are testing limits. They want to know how far they can go. And so by me providing a firm limit, they can push up all the way up against it and learn what they need to learn and not like die in the process, right? They may have consequences or whatever, but like ultimately it's going to keep them alive. But they like are constantly asking, how far is this? Is this too far? Is this too far? Is this too far? Is this? And so I provide that very non-people-pleasing energy. No, you may not go that far. And they push up against it, and I hold that line, and they end up being better for it. Transition has been an exercise in finding balance about people-pleasing and figuring out what my priorities are when it comes to people-pleasing. You know, I care so much more about pleasing you, the listeners of Transgender Woman Talking, than I do about the stranger on the street. Um, And that's a big change for me. Um, And I have found that discovering my voice exercising, speaking, um, naming what I want and need and so on in my life, that in this weird mystical way, I actually am able to help and please people in ways that I never could have as long as I was being uh, this, you know, chameleon that was constantly changing shapes for everyone else around them. The truth is that even though I felt and thought like I was pleasing people, I don't think I was truly pleasing anyone. You know, I I, I don't think as they didn't truly see me. And so it was an uneasy people pleasing. And I certainly wasn't helping myself and I couldn't even see myself. And so it just wasn't real. 
Thanks so much for listening to the program. Thanks so much for providing pushback uh, against me. Thanks for being my sounding board and helping me find and develop my voice in the world. It's been such a treat uh, this last year visiting with you. I hope in the coming year to continue uh, these reflections and conversations on life as a transgender person, as a transgender woman in the world. Um, uh, I'm going into therapy practice as soon as I get my uh, associate's number. I will be a little bit more official, and then eventually I'll be fully licensed, which is an amazing, amazing thing. Um, so I'll continue to talk even from that perspective as a transgender woman who practices therapy. Um, I also hope in the coming year to bring in some other voices um, some interviews from additional people from the community, uh, folks who work with us, allies who serve us. Uh, maybe you'll get to hear from the wife again. Um, who knows? We may have all kinds of stuff happening in the program. But thank you so much for listening. Thank you for your ratings and your reviews and your emails. Um, thanks for your kind thoughts and feedback and um, affirmations about what the show means to you. Uh, it fills my cup up so much to know that uh, these words that go into the mic uh, are coming back to you and are benefiting the world. So thanks so much. Um, once again, my name is L, and I'm a transgender woman talking.